As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the biggest stories in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On today's edition, well, that's a wrap on the first Champions League match day. The stars of the show were Napoli. But who's their new hero? Quaradonna. It wasn't so much of a glorious throwback for Italy's other giants. Juventus are sucker punched by PSG's flying front three. And finally, well, it's sacking season already. After Tuchel and Tedesco depart, who's next? And this week, we've decided to send Andy to the continent. Do you see what we did there, Andy? That sounds like you're admitting budgetary liability, and I'm here for that all day. Thank you very much, Dutton. Uh, I really appreciate it. I might have a second chai latte um, at Hamburg Airport just on you, which is where I am at the moment before going and seeing uh, Union Berlin for a very special Europa League game later. Yeah, excuses per excuses, David. You've got his back. So let's start with you. (laughs) With regards to the return of the Champions League, I suppose the top Spanish teams are pretty happy, are they? Um, Yeah, I think so. They they, they won in different circumstances. I think Real Madrid and Barcelona were emphatic. Atleti, uh, meanwhile, uh, were emphatic in the sense that it was very Atleti in terms of, you know, struggling until the very last moment and then irking it out. It couldn't have been more Atleti, I don't think, um, if they tried. Um, so, yeah, a really, really good start because I think Spanish teams have have taken a bit of pummeling over the summer, um, especially with their, uh, you know, transfer activity and what have you. Um, a lot being said, a lot being done in some cases at Barcelona. Um, so I think they needed to... Uh, put this marker down and just to say look I know the Premier League spending all that money uh, and, and that's what's being talked about at the moment but um, the Spanish teams are you know kind of still here in the Champions League Meanwhile over in Turkey Andy I see Galatasaray have had a couple of decent transfers at the last minute not least a certain Juan Mata going there for free It's the ultimate transfer deadline day uh, trolley dash Dotton. It's, it's extraordinary. So it looks like five players 
on deadline day. Of course, Mata was a free agent, so he's able to sign out the window. But um, on Wednesday night, um, uh, sorry, on Thursday, uh, the, 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 the deadline elapsed for, for Turkey. And um, it, it, they got on Maro Cardi, Milot Rashica, Yusuf Demir, Matthias Ross, and Juan Mata. I just had to have a quick think. To think did I forget anyone there? Um, given that Turkish football has taken a bit of a financial beating, it's a daring strategy, particularly in a year that they're not in Europe. It's, it's great to see Akari potentially playing again. Of course, they'd already had a busy summer getting on uh, Dries Mertens, Lucas Torreira, um, Harris Seferovic, uh, Sergio Oliveira. I mean, this could take up the whole show, basically. I actually wanted to talk about Marcus Edwards, the young Englishman doing brilliantly in the Champions League for sporting. But no, Galatasaray have stolen all our thunder. Uh, Marcus Edwards, born just up the road from where I'm sitting. No, I'm not at an airport, Andy. So let's kick <laughs> off... Let, let's kick off. I mean, dr- talk about drama. What a way to begin the Champions League. Have you ever seen the drama of the Champions League on the first day as we're seeing it now, Andy? Um, I, I think it's the, the drama is from that it's, it's so unexpected, Dotton. I agree. Um, I don't think a lot of people picked uh, Napoli beating Liverpool on the first day. I mean, I kind of looked at... I, I, was, I was at Tottenham last night watching them um, have quite a difficult job breaking down Marseille. Um, it was a game that was turned by Chancellor Bembers sending off, obviously, and Tottenham got there in the end. But I kind of felt with Tottenham and Liverpool, they're the two strongest seeds... Um, in pot two no one really wanted them and when they got into their group you assume they'll win relatively comfortably and that will leave the other three to really scrap out the remaining two places especially I think with the degree of turnover that's taken place at at Napoli and Ajax this season and um, maybe Napoli and Ajax are listeners because they responded with prejudice last night you know that they they really put their best foot forward um I mean, with, with with Liverpool, they looked a little bit leaden, and I'm sure that will be discussed elsewhere. You know, whether how long you can live the Jurgen Klopp intensity, basically. But given that Napoli are only just coming together, um, you know, they're gently bleeding in those new signings. Of course, Gio Simeone, who um, the, the son of Diego, who fulfilled that dream, as everyone's read about by scoring his first Champions League goal on his first Champions League appearance at the age of, of 27 after coming on for, for Victor Ozymen. That's a great story. But really, the way that Napoli took the ball by the horns was by the players that were there already, by Zielinski, uh, by Angisa, who was brilliant, I, I thought, after arriving there um, last season from, from Fulham, is now permanently a, a, a Napoli player. And, um, of course who tipped at the top of the show, Kvisha Kavraskelia, who has just been amazing since um, leaving Russia and leaving Rubin Kazan uh, post um, Russian invasion of of, of Ukraine. A little stop um, back at Dinamo Batumi in in Georgia, which is where he's from. And so it feels, I guess, for a lot of people, especially as it felt like Napoli was shipping some, some legends and downscaling as if this guy has come from nowhere. And there's something really special about him, David. Yeah, we don't get this often um, in football now. I think we, 
we're in such a world where every, we see everything, we can watch everything, and, and we're taking a player before they even come. Um, and I think he's he feels like an outlier. Um, it almost reminds me um, of when Ashevin came to the Premier League, that not many people had really seen him. They'd maybe caught a few Zenit games and what have you, but he was still this rare quantity. And you don't get it very often. I remember he used to get it in the Premier League in the 90s, um, you know. And I think it was really common then, but now we see it less because we, we just have access to every single league at every single level. Um, and it was really, really fantastic what he did. And I think between him and uh, Angisa, who, uh, who I've been a big fan of for, for some, some time now, he was, I thought after... It all went wrong at Fulham. He he was fantastic at Villarreal and that loan spell he had there, and and then he's he's now at Napoli as well, and uh, he's he's been fantastic here as well. And and like I said, Napoli's lost some big figureheads. You know, um, I think you know Insigne, Koulibaly, and Mertens. I mean, I mean that that's the spine of the team. They are they're serious columns for the for Napoli in the past few years. So th- there's a there's a restoration job on there, and uh, I think this was a a really exciting sign, and and and. You know, we look at Osman up front as well, who was phenomenal once again. It was his typical roller coaster sort of performance, and in, in that he ended up injuring himself after missing several chances. He also scored. He tried to put the nail in the coffin to Virgil Van Dijk's career, I think, as well. He, he seemed really intent on doing that, and 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 you know, boxing him in, um, and and that was fantastic from him as well. And uh, yeah, it was it was good to see. And I think Napoli probably could have even had more um, by the end of the game. And I noticed, uh, I think they finished with a 5.2 xG as well. So so they could have had more. Um, and I think it was 3.56 at half time when they were three 0 up. Um, so so yeah, it was really impressive by them. Having said that, it, it was a game of, or at least it was a Champions League opener of two different Serie A teams. On the one hand, Napoli, who ordinarily you would expect to see them struggling to hold on to a Champions League spot. And on the other hand, uh, we're talking Inter, who you'd see them as title contenders in Serie A. And yet, Andy, they, they did struggle. Uh, well, they were humbled, let's face it, by Bayern Munich. That's it, Dot. No, I, th- I think you're right in the um, Kvaratskeli is kind of uh, Napoli and microcosm, really, because he is representative of the fact that we didn't know, and I guess to an extent we still don't know over the course of the season what we can really expect from from Napoli. Inter are a far safer bet. You know, we know what we're gonna get with them. I, I don't think you can really say. It's a case of missing Lukaku, even though he's not present at the, at, at the moment, because um, they've got a very able replacement in Edin Dzeko, who we know connects well with Lautaro Martinez. But you're right, the gap between them and Bayern, it was a gulf. You know, Bayern were absolutely fantastic. I think of all the big teams in the Champions League this week, Bayern have been, by some distance, the most impressive um, I, th- I think amongst the favourites for the, the, the competition, they were fantastic. Leroy Sané, who I, I know you're a big fan of, Dotton, he had one of his good days. And afterwards, you had Hassan Salihamidzic, um, the sporting director, going, "Look, if if you if you played like this every week, you'd be one of the best players in the world." And Julian Nagelsmann had said the same thing earlier in the season. It feels like a club plan to provoke him to produce his best on a on a consistent basis which is is, is not really managed to do we've all said the same thing about Leroy Sané <laughs> so Tommy yeah. was new I mean what 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 turns he, him on or what turned him on if you like this week 
Well, I, I guess like, I think he's been pretty good this season. Period. So I think the Nagelsmann effect is, is is part of it. I think there's the fact that you know he, he's had to endure a lot of discussion about his contract being a problem, the size of it being a problem for Bayern over the the, the last couple of years in terms of him being one of the highest earners and that just being the situation under which he was signed really in the market conditions rather than reflecting his production and you know that that's something that's brought the wages of the rest of the the, the, the squad up um he's been criticized for his lack of defensive investment in the past but it feels like a big year for him because you know there's huge competition in the wide areas particularly after Sadio Mane has, has, has arrived and if, if he continues if if he is eventually going to play as a left-sided player as he played for Liverpool rather than two up front. Um, that's something that's going to put the squeeze on, on Sané a bit. And, of course, the fact that the World Cup's coming up. You know, there's I think there's a big sense that they've got to knuckle down. But looking at Inter, who, you know, since they won the Champions League in 2010, have been well short. They've been well short of the required standard. I thought they did pretty well under the circumstances. Um, Inzaghi did pretty well to get them into the last 16 and give a good account of themselves against Liverpool last season. I think the the interesting thing here is that we're going to have this again and again in the group stage, I think, guys. The fact that um, Qatar and the incredibly intense schedule is just hanging over everyone. You know, they asked... Um, they asked Simone Inzaghi after the game, why did you leave Barella on the bench? And he was, he was like, what do you mean, why did I leave him on the bench? We played the derby against Milan on Saturday, which was really intense. We've got another game at the weekend. You've got to rest players at some point. You know, it's, it, it's, it's really difficult. So you can't always pick your best team. And I think that's going to be a recurring theme. And maybe we'll see more of these shocks like, like Napoli for, for that reason. Yeah, I just I got the feeling it was, I think it was lifeless from Inter, to be honest with you. And I think you look at that Inter squad as well, and, and, and it's really, really limited. I think Inzaghi's got a big task there. And I mean, something even, I sense that almost that he's going to be under a lot of pressure as well. I know it's only, it's 13 wins in the last 28 for him. Two clean sheets in the last 13. Um, it's disappointing. Um, you look at the squad, I think it's very, it's old. Um, you know, it's there's not much invention there. There's not many new ideas there. I I think it's a tough time to be an Inter fan. I think looking at that performance last night um, to show how far away you are from the elite. I thought there was only really Onana um, in in goal who, who who came away with any positives. I think everybody else can probably be disappointed with how they played. Um, I th- I think it was a stroll for Bayern. Uh, they turned it on and they turned up the tempo when they wanted to. Um, other that, other than that, um, they they coasted through that with, with absolute ease. That I think we saw maybe a thirty percent, forty percent buy-in performance uh, last night, which is damn of Inter, but also I think a a real marker down for for the other big teams. This is Bayern's exciting young team. By contrast with the aged team of Inter that you've just mentioned. Yeah, I think in every single way. I think in ideas and then also physically as well, you could see a difference. Um, yeah, it was just a glorified training session for Bayern, I thought. Um, and some of their passing, some of their interchange in their positions um, was fantastic. Um, some of the, the the speed of their passing and their one-touch play is quite remarkable. We all know that Nagelsmann works on that extensively, that Bayern's training sessions are essentially just rondo after rondo. Um, and, and you could really see... and. 
And just going back to Sané as well, I think we can see him invigorated for the purely, I think, down to the fact that Lewandowski's gone and there's an opportunity there to be a main man. Um, and, and just because Mane has come in, it doesn't mean that now the, the baton's being passed to him. I think it's up for grabs in that buying attack and I think Sané is really, really uh, motivated by that. Yeah, whilst Napoli uh, are celebrating, Inter's fans have got a lot of thinking to do. But let's go back to the celebration of Napoli as well. This is a question from Brad. And do remember, you can uh, get in contact with us at any time during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel and at David Jacker. That's J-A-C-A. Um he asked, Brad asked, how far can Napoli go after that performance against Liverpool? They looked electric, a great example of Spalletti at his best. But how much of that is Liverpool being really poor, Andy? I, I think it's a bit of both, definitely. Um, Liverpool were pretty torpid. Um, but, you know, having said that, Nap- Napoli were really good and it's, it's clicked quickly. Um the unevenness that we talked about is is a thing, though, and that's why it's kind of a mugs game making too many predictions. I think for for this Champions League, we're going to get a lot of unevenness. I mean, I, I saw the two Napoli games before this game against Liverpool. They're absolutely terrible against Lecce, who are, are one of the favourites to get relegated um, at the the Diego Maradona, so at home. Um, and then they went to Lazio and brilliant at the weekend and one two one and. Skellia scored a, a, a brilliant goal to, to win the game there. So um, I, I think there are still a lot of questions over Napoli. And there's also the question of what can Ajax do in this group as well? Because, of course, they beat Rangers handsomely um, in, in, the, in this first game. And they, too, are bedding down a, a new team with, like, five, six new, new starters. And, um, you know, they're going to continue to do that I think both they and Napoli will be slightly different teams by the end of the group than they were at the beginning non uh, volontario quindi la palla schizza Mauro che mette sul movimento Maradona contro di Maradona pallonetto e terzo gol del Napoli ha segnato Maradona 38esimo minuto e mezzo del secondo tempo Maradona Let's talk about PSG beating Juve. That is another something of a first for the Champions League. Perhaps we should have been expecting that, given you know the personnel at PSG. Mbappe is always likely to fire up a Champions League match. And he didn't disappoint this time, did he? Uh, David, first, because you're nodding away at that. It was his game in the first half, I would have thought. Yeah, I thought I thought he was really impressive again. And then I think there were a few issues later on in the game, but I think that kind of swept across the whole of PSG. Again, I I think they decided to coast, um, kind of what Bayern did against Inter, except Bayern did it with a bit more authority and a bit more know-how. I think PSG really switched off. They allowed Juve back into the game. Um, I think there was a, a key chance when Mbappe... Uh, you know, you know, had a brilliant sprint as he usually does. A tra- you know that trademark sprint that he has to get away, jet healed, and he should have squared it across to Neymar. Um, and I think it would have been a simple finish there. There was little things like that, little inconsistencies that they still need to iron out. But again, very early days with some big changes to PSG, uh, some encouraging signs there, but also a lot to improve upon. 
I thought Neymar was honestly the best player on the pitch. If to be to be clear, um, I, I think his defensive work rate, um, his his general attitude towards the game was was brilliant. I think he he ran 9.92k in in that game, was the third most. I think there was only Ramos and one more player ahead of him in terms of uh, uh, Verratti. Sorry, uh, Ramos and Verratti ahead of him in terms of distance covered. Um, I thought he was brilliant, um, to be honest with you, Neymar. Yeah, David summed it up succinctly. I think it's fair to say, Andy. PSG were brilliant. <laughs> Mbappe was brilliant. What was there to be defensive about for the PSG coach Christophe Galtier, who at the press conference seemed to be on the back foot? Uh, yeah, he was um, because of, as he put it, his very bad joke uh, uh, at the weekend when he was um, asked about whether uh, PSG should be flying to Nantes. And um, he, he said, with Kylian Mbappe next to him, who's actually got off the hook because he laughed at this terrible joke uh, quite a lot. Um, Gautier said, um, what do you want us to, to, to sail there? And... Um, yeah, people people didn't find it funny. You know, it's it's um, really opened up a conversation, which may be a conversation that needed to be had about um, football's ecological print. Really, uh, it's, it's something that's I, I felt quite strongly about, and I, Lars Sivertsen and I have, have, have discussed it quite a bit. You know, should teams in the Premier League, for example, be flying from London to Norwich? There's a simple answer to that and you know what it is. Um, you know, football clubs really have to do better here. And to see Christophe Galtier, who's a very forthright sort of man on the defensive like this and the conversation not go away, it's, it's really interesting, especially because on the pitch and in terms of the way that he's managed the squad so far, it's been peerless. You know, um, he talked about the actual game it's interesting to to use the word defensive because if there was one little criticism of, of of PSG, that would be it. They let in a really crappy goal and let Juventus back into a game that they should have been really out of. Just really strengthening my feeling that they backed the wrong goalkeeper and that they should have stuck with Kaylon Navas and never signed Gigi Donnarumma in the, in, in the first place. But you know, obviously that's that's done. But I think when they had those difficult bits. The print of Galtier really made me think that they're in a good position to take stuff forward, even when they have rocky moments in games, because um, the way that Vitinha and Verratti controlled the game, um, you know, it's something that Juventus can touch. You know, I think um, something that David's touched on before, the difference between the midfield of those two teams, you know, they're on different planets, even if they're in the same competition. And we traditionally think of... Juve as a contender, I mean, they're nowhere close at the moment. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, David, with regards to Juve. Yeah, I thought I thought they were disastrous, but I think they are probably one of the most difficult teams anywhere to watch. I think it. Re- I think Allegri really, really <laughs> sucks the life out of um, the game and any form of enjoyment that is within football. I think he's truly one of the most brutal coaches to watch in terms of his style. Um, I think Juve have completely regressed as well in terms of their recruitment and in terms of their ambition over recent years. I think there's far too much focus on tactical intricacy of things and less about expression. Um, I think, he, uh, funnily enough, Matthias de, de Ligt uh, touched on this and he, he said there was, you know, he's found himself 
in a much more intense physical environment with Bayern, um, which is understandable because of Nagelsmann and what he requires. But he said there's a lot more emphasis on the physical and technical qualities there than there are the tactical qualities. And I think Italy might have a problem here um, as a whole as well because Juve uh, often looked at as your, your, your premier team uh, and Inter as well, which we saw against Bayern, that they are in danger of, of getting left very far behind if, if they continue to, to focus and put too much onus on, on tactics and don't improve and focus on other areas. I think Spain had a big issue with it as well when they failed to develop physically a few years ago when they were getting hammered by Bayern as well and they had a lot of you know reflecting to do. And I can see it happen with Italy as well. I know Milan uh, have tried to move away from that with some of their recruitment in recent years which is which has held them in good stead and it's why they they won Serie A I thought um but I think you've a very a, a great example of you know of, of a team being left behind by their particular imprint and focus I think an opportunity was missed as well to remove Allegri at the end of the season I think it was a perfect time to uh they didn't um Pochettino, for instance, is on the market. I think somebody who can who can go a different way um, in, in terms of approach. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was dreadful from them. And I could honestly see them not making it past the, the group stage here. If this uh, demise is on that level, Andy, what will it mean? How, how will that be responded to? Uh, I can imagine that that would be devastating if they didn't make it past this stage. Uh, yeah, it, it would. Um, and I, I still want to reserve judgment on that a little bit. I mean, obviously, Benfica um, won their first game of the group and uh, the Portuguese newspapers were full of Benfica at top of the group. Yeah, having played the weakest team in it, <laughs> Maccabee Haifa, on, on, on goal difference. Um, I, 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 I don't know yet if it will be close between Benfica, who've started the season brilliantly, and, and Juventus. You would still say... Juventus have the better players. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But what David was saying about that, this sort of lack of imagination, it's not just Allegri, it's the recruitment as well, I think. You know, you, you look at bringing in Arcadius Milik and already so much goes through him. You know, their biggest threat in Paris was really Milik. Is that where a team that, you know, reached the Champions League final twice in recent years are? Just like, hitting the big man is is that where they are because if so that doesn't feel good to me and talking about what david was in in terms of italy in a wider sense i, I think apart from napoli it has been like a relatively chastening week as well because you know milan couldn't get it won at salzburg you feel they're a better team than the last season but they're still you know they still look a bit green in 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 a champions league context um hopefully for them they can they can sort that out in the in the rest of the group stages but um you know it feels to me that they're quite reliant on uh rafael lau who was again brilliant in, in that game in austria having said that david juve is still waiting a few of their players big players to come back paul pogba Federico Chiesa, which goes back to what you were saying about Italy. You know, the, he was the best player for them, I thought, last year at the Euros. And Di Maria as well. C can we expect them to improve, given they are still unbeaten in Serie A? I completely expect an improvement. Um, I think there has to be an improvement um, because they look so poor. But again, I, I, Allegri is a very stubborn character and it goes back, you know, against the recruitment. They made a decision to keep Allegri. So if they are keeping Allegri, then they will back him with a specific type of player that suits Allegri's style. 
and and that there is your your problem you continue to support that um and and then you shouldn't be surprised at the results if they are you know you, you know um disappointing um underwhelming um you know there's there's just a lack of vigor there i think on every level i think i think there needs to be a big shake up i think you've one of those clubs that really needs to go back to the the drawing board and kind of needs to put itself in a transition uh, similar to which Bayern did uh, a year or two ago I think when they brought Nagelsmann in when they started to target a new different profile of player I think that's where Juve need to be Il controllo di Allegri ancora Allegri e la palla di Criniti gol segnato da Allegri terzo tentativo stavamo già per dire gol prima e la rete da parte del Cagliari Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramble. Let's talk about what might have been, you know, the consequence of this first uh, opening gambit of the Champions League this season. Andy, you you followed the Champions League for a couple of seasons. Didn't you write the book on it as well, uh, following them for an entire year? Have you ever witnessed anything like the managerial or, if you like, the coach uh, consequences of that first match? Nobody expected... Thomas Tuchel, surely, to be binned by Chelsea after getting beat. And he's not the only one who's lost his job after just one match in the Champions League. No, you're, you're, you're right, Dot, and it, it, it could be the, the, the tip of an iceberg because uh, Domenico Tedesco uh, went from RB Leipzig as, as, as well. Um, Julian Lopetegui is, is on the brink at Sevilla. You know, three teams, uh, Chelsea... Leipzig and Sevilla that were embarrassed in very different ways in uh, the, the Champions League this week. I mean, I don't think the losses made any of those clubs change direction. Uh, I think, you know, there were huge doubts over all three of those 
those coaches anyway. But I, I guess the big difference with Tuchel is, you know, he, he has got this reputation of being, you know, a bit, a bit, a bit awkward, um, of having these outbursts. But you know what? I think his reputation has, has been changed a lot for the better since um, coming to Chelsea. You know, but before that, I think a, a little bit like Mauricio Pochettino, people don't really know what level of credit to give to winning Liga with, with PSG, for example, you know, because of the financial gulf between them and the rest. So even though Tuchel had got to a, a Champions League final with PSG, it feels like by winning the Champions League with Chelsea, particularly as it had his prints all over it, you know, those first six months uh, at Chelsea, he did a phenomenal job really in turning a team that wasn't a contender into the actual winner of that competition. You know, that's made people around the continent sit up and take notice. And um, I think he'll have no problem uh, getting another big job. People knew he was a talented coach. They didn't know he could win the big trophies. Now they know he can win the big trophies. So if before he had promise of being an elite coach, I think now all over... The, the continent, no matter how it ended with Chelsea, um, difficulties behind the scenes, uh, ructions over recruitment this summer, none of that really matters because I don't think he will be put in that position that he was at Chelsea this summer where he's expected to inform and lead the recruitment because really that shouldn't be happening at any functional high-end European club. Yeah, um, I echo everything what Andy said there. I think he's been badly let down by the changes that have gone on at Chelsea, significant changes. Um, we even beyond what we're talking about now with Bowley in, and I think quite frankly the the mess that he has created since coming into Chelsea in terms of how they've recruited, how they've operated, um, it, it, it's been atrocious, quite frankly. And the evidence is all there, um, out there for everybody to see. I think about that. Um, I think before Tuchel uh, had a difficult situation with the um, removal of Abramovich as owner as well. I thought he handled that really well. I think that was an issue that could have impacted on the pitch significantly. Um, but he avoided that and he created a an inter- a, just a strong mentality, I think, um, there at Chelsea during that period. And I think he handled that really well. And again, I think what Andy said, I think, his reputa- I think he comes away with his reputation enhanced. I think... He's not been without his flaws, his errors, of course, no coaches. But um, I think, yeah, he comes away with his reputation enhanced and he's going to walk into a top job. We're, we're talking an elite job here as well. I, I don't think he's going to have to accept a, a mid-table job somewhere to, to, to come back, to earn his way back. He's going to get a top-level Champions League club job um, once one becomes available. I think you've both answered the question that Simon was tweeting about, what next for Tuchel. So uh, we can talk about Tuchel, we can talk about Tedesco as well, canned by Leipzig, as we've heard. Lopetegui's not gone yet, but he's one you really wanted to munch on. Yeah, of course. I think the the seeds for this were, were sown quite some, you know, quite some time ago with Sevilla. I think um, in the second half, start of the second half of last season, I think... We saw a big regression, um, a focus on safety first. On uh, you, you know, I think there was a bit of negative. The negativity really crept in at Sevilla quite quickly. Um, 
I think Lopetegui got a little bit scared. Um, I think he believed that the squad was limited. I think he believed, um, you know, that what they could do. Um, you know, there was a cap on that. I think he then regressed. I think in turn, Sevilla kind of, as you do when you're when you're told to retreat, you end up sometimes retreating a little bit too much. And and other teams sensed the insecurity and there was a lot of really really poor results last season for Sevilla I think there were games what there were there for them to take whether they had enough quality to get through but they didn't because I think it was largely upon Lopetegui's direction to you know be defensive pragmatic first um, and then I think this summer they've been badly let down by their sporting director Monchi who is often hailed but I think you know him we've he's been praised a lot um, while he's been at Sevilla, but you know he has to take some negativity, he has to take some criticism too. There's been a few negative years, and I think this is one of his worst. I think you look at that Sevilla squad again, aging, tired, um, no invention there, no ideas, um, no inspiration. Um, I think they they've lost their two centre key centre backs in in, in Koundé and Diego Carlos. They've not properly been replaced, or, or, or at least the jury is still out there. I don't think there's been any exciting attacking manoeuvres, um, you know, made. I think Isco isn't the sort of signing that they need to be making. Sevilla, uh, for instance, you know, Alex Tejas, these type of signings, I, I think, are a bit beyond Sevilla. Again, they're another team who needs to go back to the drawing board and get a new direction. Um, I think Monchi probably needs to. I think it's. Munchie's biggest restoration job that um, he's ever had since being at Sevilla and that he's got in hand um, and I have a few doubts of whether he, he, he's capable of doing it still. Yeah, arguably of the three managers that we've talked about, Andy, uh, Tuchel, Tedesco and Lopetegui, it's Tedesco's uh, or it's Leipzig's loss to Shakhtar Donetsk and um, no disrespect to Shakhtar Donetsk but you know, you're talking about a team from a war situation Thrashing, yeah, Leipzig. I think it's fair to say four-one. He, he's the manager, yeah. or he's the coach. When I look at it, there's got no excuse. Yeah, I, I mean, for the performance on the night, I, I, I would have no arguments with that at all. And um, it's the culmination of very poor start to the season. Uh, five points from five league games. So there was already the sense that Tedesco was on thin ice, and that was the straw that understandably broke the camel's back what an achievement by Shakhtar by the way you know bear in mind that you know it's a team that's normally rocking 10 to 12 Brazilians and now has three foreign players in total uh one of which of of course uh Lucina Traore um came from Ajax um only rejoined the team last week could have been another one of the foreigners to leave and decided to stay and and, and scored in that. It's, it's, it's a great story for him. Um, I, I think it was the way they lost as, as, as well that was really alarming because um, they just got done and done again and again and again by uh, Mikolo Mudrik, who, who's brilliant, and, and Shakhtar on, on the, on the counter-attack. <clears throat> I think they just threw everything forward a, a, a bit too early and uh, they left themselves badly badly exposed of course there was the opening error by Peter Galacci as well which kind of didn't really give the impression of a, a, a focused team but like if you look where they are they're, they're in a weird sort of place I, I think you know David was talking about recruitment here and 
uh, with with um, Lopetegui and, uh, and Monchi. And when you saw Sevilla against Manchester City, you thought they've got an incredibly green defence and a very old front line, which is like the last possible lineup you want to go in against Manchester City with, really. But I think the player management has, has really been an issue for Tedesco as well. Remember, he won first major trophy for them um, in, in winning the DFB Pokal last season, um, got them into the, the Champions League. And I, I don't really feel he's received a, an enormous amount of credit for that. They were terrific in the in the, in the back half of last season, um, give or take the Europa League blip to, to, to Rangers. Um, but he is a guy who was used to working on one sort of resource, uh, Shakhtar and Spartak. And then all of a sudden they've changed signing politic. So basically they've um, got on board back Timo Werner, which is very un-Leipzig signing. They buy young players and, and bring them up. They spent nearly 30 million on a, a left back, which arguably they didn't need in, in, in David Raum. And all of a sudden he's got too many players or too many players who feel they should be in the team. And he's got to manage all these egos, which is something that, that they're not used to. And they're still sort of suffering, arguably, from that post-Nagelsmann depression. I, I, I think he's, he's been dealt a bit of a, a dud hand, Tedesco. Though how he rebuilds his career from here, I, I, I'm not sure. It's a fair point. Although they're talking about Marco Rosa replacing him, aren't they, at Leipzig? Um, Lopetegui, well, that's undecided at the moment. And Graham Potter is all but confirmed as Chelsea's manager at the time of recording. Are there any other managerial um, casualties, uh, well, not quite casualties yet, but uh, possible casualties around the corner in the European leagues, um, Champions League otherwise? For you, David, who's next on the chopping block? Allegri, for the love of God, Allegri. <laughs> What's he done to you? You're taking this personally, aren't you? For the love of God. Like I said, it's it's just watching his his uh, his football, his brand of football. It, it it really sucks the life out of you. He 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 is a vampire. So we always ask you both to recommend a game of the week that we can peruse over the weekend. Um, Andy, do you want to go first? Well, it's, it's got to be Bundesliga this weekend. There's so much going on, Dotton. Um, I felt, and I'm not just saying that because I'm sat in Hamburg Airport. Um, I, I think you made a great point with um, Leipzig against Dortmund on Saturday because that will be Marco Rosa kicking off his new club against his old club, who he was surprised to be binned by at the end of... Uh, last season, so there's a there's a bit of spice there. Uh, but the one I'm going to go for, uh, one you can actually watch on British telly, it's going to be um, Sunday afternoon, Freiburg against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Bundesliga leaders, Freiburg. What an incredible story that is. So great start to the season uh, f- for them. And they're playing uh, Daniel Farkas, Borussia Mönchengladbach, who only lost their first game uh, last weekend. Um I'm going to have to hold fire on what we're going to do in terms of um, food. It depends what Berlin can offer me and what I can fit in the suitcase. Don't tell customs. <laughs> Good luck to you in that respect, David. 
Yeah, uh, Sunday evening, uh, 8 o'clock kickoff. Uh, we've got Real Betis versus Villarreal. Uh, that's Villarreal in third place against Real Betis in fourth place. Uh, they've both started the season well, positively. They're, they're definitely looking like the, the best of the rest uh, at the moment. Um, I think they're both going to stay the course over the season as well, really like where both clubs are at currently. Um, so I think that's going to be a really interesting game at the, at the top of the, the table in La Liga. Um, and in terms of food pairing, I'm going to go for Calamares al Romana, some, some nice fried squid rings. Yeah, I'm down with that. But both great cracking games. Thank you very much. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.